Gather round, circle up, fill the cup, spill the tea. Just believe, just believe the diamond dogs are here. And that means that you're not alone. We get one shot at this life. And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try. The diamond dogs are here. everybody welcome back to the diamond dogs podcast we are can you believe it in episode nine so much going on so many things mulling under the surface that come up that come up so let's let's kick it off with our recap right here about the fact that rebecca still has not told ted about her whole grand plan to sabotage the team um In the meantime, we see that Roy is getting older and showing his age and the team is a little upset. And what are we going to do about that? Keely keeps poking at Rebecca to tell Ted, but she's just really having a hard time doing that. And to add insult to injury, Rupert comes along and says, hey, by the way, I'm having a baby with this woman um, that I never wanted to have, right? That I never wanted to have with you. (laughs) Uh, so Rebecca, like, you know, she finds some courage, I guess, and the, in the anger and marches down to Ted's office and confesses and, you know, you gotta love Ted. I love he Ted. Just, I think he hugs her, right? He does. Um, he doesn't hug her. Yeah. And he just, he just really, he's like, you know, we're good. It's, it's so good. Ted does tell Roy that he's going to bench him. Roy feels betrayed. And this this kind of kicks off, and we're going to talk about this today. This kicks off some of of Roy just realizing, and I think this is so important in leadership. We are so much more than what's on our business card. We're so yeah. much more than the position we play on the field. And this is Roy's first look at all that, right? And you know, as one good turn deserves another, since Rebecca has been forgiven, she goes and seeks out Higgins. And if you have not seen episode nine, you got to go watch what Higgins is doing. I don't want to and wearing and and yeah, all all the things and the facial hair and and there's some great comedy around the facial hair. And you know, Ted has been saying all along, which was one of the things that we really loved about him at the beginning, is that he doesn't really care about winning. And Beard goes nuts and basically says that uh, winning is important and he's not sure he wants to work with somebody that's selfish enough to not care about winning, which is an interesting twist on that whole thing. Can't wait to dive into that one. Yeah. And then uh, Ted and Roy wind up having a conversation. They come up with a scheme about how they're going to uh, handle this whole thing and then how Roy just basically handles change too which we don't really have in our notes, but that's that's a big piece of, of what's yeah. going on. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, Beth, episode nine, let's dig into some lessons. I know. I think, you know, where I want to start, Jason, is this, um, these moments we see this time between Ted and Roy as yeah. he is like grappling with the reality that, you know, his career might be coming to an end. He's not able to do what he used to be able to do. Right. And there are a couple of just like really phenomenal leadership moments that happen as part of that. Um, there's a great scene between the two of them where Ted says, I've got your back and nothing's going to change that. Yeah. Um, and you can see what those words mean yeah. to Roy 
um, yep. which makes it more complicated when yep. later on they they have to kind of make the call on whether Roy is going to start or not. And yeah. this is where probably a little bit of soccer knowledge would do me some good because there must be some really intricate rules about what happens if you don't start and then play later. Like, I don't understand soccer enough to know how that works, but it seems clear there are a lot of factors at play and that starting is important, you know? Right. Well, and also that's always that. I mean, that's a huge piece of Roy's identity, right? Oh, is to sure. be this is to be yeah. the starter. So, you know, yeah. all of the speculation that would come if he didn't start and yeah. about you've time been this and, yeah, yeah, yeah. star player, like that's right. your whole identity, his whole life. You know, they, they yeah. talk about some of his backstory and how young he started and, right. you know, he's never done anything but this. He's always been a starting soccer right. star. He doesn't have any idea what to do if that's not who he is. But yeah, I just really, at first, I really loved Ted's instinct to... Yes protect Roy and also to let Roy navigate this at his own speed and pace and with the care and love that he's going to need to kind of get to the other side of that. I think that is a really, and that's, that's the kind of leadership moment we don't see often enough. Mm -hmm. I think like how rare is that kind of totally commitment to the person above all the things, you know, super rare, I think, especially yeah. on TV to see things like that. So I really loved that dynamic. And, you know, that scene where he, after they lose and, and Roy is sitting in the stands, the stands are, you know, the whole stadium is empty. <laughs> Roy or Ted comes in and literally sits right next, next to him. I know, and I love Roy's like, Roy kind of looks around like at all the seats. <laughs> And then I think he moves away, doesn't he? Because he does. He's, yeah. yeah, he's he's just not uncomfortable. He doesn't move far. I think he just moves like yeah. One I think over. he just yeah yeah. But enough, like dude. Yeah. But I just love again. You know, we just see the authenticity of Ted. I mean, yeah. Clearly, he could have sat a couple seats away. I'm sure he knew that that's what Roy would have appreciated. But he's like, no, this is me. Yeah. Uh, we're we're just we're just going all in and. Yeah. And then there's that great scene between he and Keely where he's, you know, kind of after he talks to Ted and he understands kind of the writings on the wall and he's grappling with that. Yep. Is that the scene where the niece is in there as well? Yeah. Yeah, That's so great. And so, uh, you know, to, to tap dance on something that I talk about a lot and we've talked about on the show already, but the importance of your tribe and having those voices because what Keely does is brilliant, right? Yeah. She calls, she calls um, the niece over and is like, can you, can you describe uh, uncle Roy to me? And she says all these things and none of them have anything to do with him being a footballer. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's one of, you know, at the end of that Keely, I think she kind of even like pokes him on the chest and she's like, see that all that matters is what you think of Roy Kent doesn't like, yeah. And just going back to that whole thing about, you know, I think we put an awful lot of pressure on ourselves because we have an unrealistic idea of what other people think about us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've, I, I think one of those great, and I'm going to mess it up, but there, there are those, those graphics out there in the world that say, in my 20s, I thought it was all about me. And in my 30s, I really, you know, and basically, you know, the way that life goes is you get into your 50s or 60s or whatever it is, and you realize like nobody cared. Yeah, all, nobody was really. thinking about you at all. 
No, they were. And we thought that people were. Yeah. I have a 13 year old daughter that I try to remind that of. And I'm just, she's like, what, you know, spends all this time on the filters and getting it just right. And I'm like, it's one of a thousand things people are going to see today. And they're, and I don't mean this in the, to be disrespectful or, or make you feel bad, but people just don't care that much about you. It just, it just, I mean, it, 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 that just is, that is what it is. And I think for any of our listeners who are in that place in life where, and I feel like we should, you know, like, um, cue the boys to men into the road. Like, yeah. <laughs> good song. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that would be a good one. Um, but I feel like you know, we should be wearing more denim if that's the song. Oh, that video for sure. When they were for in the sure. denim. Yeah. Like full denim tuxedo situation. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, that's why YouTube exists. And, so and you'll you're a millennial and that's, yeah. we're sorry. Yeah. And and go look it up because you you might you may become a new boys to men fan because of this. But I I think that so many of us, I know I had this. Um, I had gotten to a place where I thought that the title and the the initials at the end of my name and on my business card were who I was. And it was really hard. Well, I made it hard, right? I, because I had unreal ideas and expectations about that. But I thought like, well, if I'm not this, who am I? And it was, again, thankfully, I had people like Keely. She's not my tribe, but people like Keely in my tribe to say, you're you like you have like your skills and your abilities and your things that you do don't matter don't only take place in this building under this logo and i i just remember that being like huh yeah you're right but i think people really struggle with that so we just want to encourage you that if you are struggling with that um reach out to the people in your tribe and ask them what you're good at yeah and let them fill your cup up and then find a new place to go do that. Yeah. Or maybe even just walk into the same place with a different spot in your heart. You know, it's not always about, I I think sometimes we make career decisions to leave organizations when really we're trying to leave ourselves and you're just going to take that with you. So (laughs) so like make a, a, you know, intentional decision about, is Mm -hmm. it you or is it the organization? And sometimes it is the organization. I've left organizations that I needed to leave, but sometimes it's just us (laughs) and we have to be careful about just taking the same stuff to a new, a new job. Yeah, during uh, the shit show that was 2021, which we were talking about a little bit before we got started today. Screw 2021. Oh my gosh, so much worse than 2020. Um, But you know, in that, my I was complaining to my therapist about you know this is you know it's (laughs) you know I was just I was I was in a bad headspace for a couple months, and his thing that he kept bringing me back to is but. But if the circumstances, like, can you, can you learn to be content slash happy slash joyful slash grateful, even in the midst of a bad situation? Because, and his point was that the, the, your situation is going to constantly change. You need to be happy with who you are. You need to find gratitude and grace and contentment and joy and happiness regardless. And I was like, well, damn. That reminds me of that seven habits quote. That's like, you have to carry your own weather, right? You have Mm -hmm. to carry your own. Yep. And there's that song everywhere you go, always take the weather with you. Oh, I don't 
don't know that song. What is that song? Are you serious? No. I bet you've heard it. I don't. I'm sure I have. You'll have to everywhere send that to you me later. go. Always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go. No, I don't know. Always that song. take the weather. This could be the age difference playing out. This could be our yeah, six this years is, like playing yeah. out. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate Sorry. that. Six. Yeah. It's six, right? Yeah. I, I'm not going to give a number. So let's, uh, what's another lesson that you've, uh, <laughs> that you would like to talk about today, Beth? Hilarious. Something else you want to pull out of there? I think we need, you know, the big overarching theme of this episode, and I'm really excited to dig into this topic more today. Cause I think it's something that we can all improve and get better at, but this, there are so many apologies in this episode. There are so many moments where somebody's asking somebody else for forgiveness and it's being given first of all. And secondly, like just the way the apologies are done and written and delivered. It's just like so many times you want to just do like a chef's kiss, you know, like it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's the stuff apologies are made of of that. um, That apology that Rebecca gives um, Roy is it's vulnerable. It's true. Like, you you know, she gives Ted, right? Yeah, that she gives Ted. Yeah, she you can tell how sorry she truly is. Yeah, you can see the emotion of it. Yeah, she doesn't expect anything from him. She's just like genuinely sorry. Yeah. Um, And that I mean, there. Again, how many times have you really in life had somebody apologize to you like that? That's a super rare um, occurrence. An apology with no strings attached, right? right? An apology that's like, say this phrase when I talk, um, when I work with corporate exec teams, that an apology with a but attached to it is not an apology. That's exactly right. right. I mean, how many times have we been apologized where people say, oh, I'm sorry, but you are a jerk. And because you are a jerk, that's the reason I acted like an ass. You, that's not an apology. That's yes, yeah. that's a backward, backhanded way of blaming you for how they exactly. reacted, which is not at all. Or the classic non-apology apology of "I'm sorry that you were offended by what I had to yeah. say." That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. You want to really see like fire come out of my eyes. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry if what I yeah. said. Oh, I'm sorry if like if you yeah. were offended because <laughs> clearly you misperceived what I said. Right. I don't know why that would offend you. It wouldn't offend anybody else, just you. Oh, that stuff makes me nuts. Yeah. And I, I think what I love about this episode is, you know, they've poked fun and she's even poked fun at herself that Rebecca is not a hugger. Right. Yeah. And Ted hugs her like, and she, like she hugs him back or maybe even hugs him first. I don't remember. But the fact is she's hugging him and you know, when, when we, that to me, that is the ultimate leadership example and leadership characteristic. I hope that I have that I can forgive without like, just not attach a string to it, not attach a condition to it, not hold a grudge, not file it away for a future fight, not make it fuel for something later. And I want to hear what you have to say about that piece. And then I want to talk about this, this my side of the line versus your side of the line. But have you worked with leaders who, who have that characteristic, who are just willing to apologize? Because to me, that's also a vulnerability thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I definitely have worked with and for leaders that have the ability to apologize. I've also worked with plenty who would never admit mm-hmm. anything 
was their fault or that they played a role in anything that happened. Mm -hmm. And obviously the difference between working for, you know, it's night and day when you're working for those types of leaders. I do think that, I think it's interesting. The thing that you just brought up though, like the part that a lot of leaders need to work on myself included is the part of truly forgiving. Yeah. When an apology is given and just starting over, I can definitely be one. This is probably more pertinent to me in my personal life than it would show up for me as a leader at work, but I can hold a grudge. Like I can hold a grudge with the best of them. Mm. And I tend to give a lot of forgiveness to people to a point, And then I get kind of done. Like now yeah. I'm like, okay, I gave you a lot of grace and room and now I'm done. Right. And that is not a good, I'm by no means claiming that as a good quality. It's just who I am. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I do think, think I, work on. I do think, and so this brings up an interesting point and we hadn't planned really to talk about this, but it, it was, it reminds me of a situation that I had with a leader who's just a complete horse's ass. And I, I may have mentioned this before, but he, ironically, he was the person that said, when someone shows you their true colors, yes. believe them. Right. Yes. And so I think there is there. So I don't think, first of all, I don't think this is prescriptive. I think every situation has its own nuances and things like that. I also think that, you know, there's this saying out there, like fool me once, yeah. shame <laughs> on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. Like I should have yeah. learned my lesson. Yeah. Right. There's even the there's even the uh, idea like back in Bible times, right? Like when Jesus sent his people out, he said, go into the the towns. And if they accept you, then like hang and, and bless them. And if they don't like take your blessing back, wipe the dust off your feet, like clap your sandals and like keep on moving. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that there's this idea that we have to, I don't think you need to be a doormat. So I don't want people to hear that doesn't mean, you know, you just keep I'm just going to keep forgiving people. And, and, you know, you'll hear the, hear the, the truck beeping as it backs over you, you yeah. know, to, to peel out time after time after time. But I think I would say this, like what we're talking about today, this goes out to you. If you're a leader and you don't apologize, you can't imagine apologizing. You think, and I've, I've worked with some leaders who've said this, and this is where I want to talk about the, my side of the line, your side of the line thing. They're like, well, if I apologize, then, and they've got this whole scenario worked out about what's going to happen as a response. Like they're going to think I'm weak. They're going to do this. They're going to walk over me. I, you know, all these things. And uh, one of the things that was just a huge epiphany for me when my wife and I did uh, couples counseling last year to just get some things right and straight, we had a great, she was like the Yoda whisperer. (laughs) Of she's so amazing, but she just said, you know, there's your side of the line, and there's, you know, the other, in this case, my wife, her side of the line, and you know, because she asked me about a scenario, and I think this plays out in business, right? Like, if she said, if you are going to apologize, or if you're going to say something that's hard, you need to, you need to say, you need to be respectful, you need to be kind, you need to be patient, you need to be honest, you need to be vulnerable. All those things yeah. go into go into that package, and then you you say the thing, whatever the thing is. And so many of us won't say the thing because we're too wrapped up in how somebody else is going to respond. And what uh, Margie is her name, what she helped us see was I I was stuck in how I thought my wife or the other party or whatever was going to respond. And she was like, <laughs> she was very, she's so fiery. I loved her. She's like, listen. That shit's not your responsibility. 
that is not even your side of the line. Like that is, yeah. and I was like, my side of the line. And she goes, you are responsible for all those things we just talked about. And then once you do that, you hold no responsibility for how they respond. And they might respond in that way that you don't own that. Yeah, You're not responsible for that. They are responsible for that. Yeah. And I got to tell you that, that, he, that, you know, really working through that lesson and I've used that. I can't even tell you how many times oh, I just yeah. used it this past Friday with a, with a coaching client that, you know, well, what if they, what if they, and are they gonna, and maybe, and, and my question now, cause we've talked about the, my side of the, and I say, whose side of the line is that on? Yeah. And they you always know, and I go, think, I think what can be tricky with this one too. And as I think about, you know, my side of the line, your side of the line, and, and how do, how can that play out in a corporate setting or in a leadership setting? Right. I think what can be really tricky is, do you as a leader have a responsibility for being conscious of how you're delivering something, of doing that in a clear and kind way, of being you're respectful? Damn well better. Of the, you better, right? Like that part of it is your responsibility. So yes, is the vulnerability your responsibility? Yes. Does yes. that mean you get to just word dump whatever's in your brain to this other human? No. So is it still a balancing act? Yes. But the, I think this even goes for like a feedback conversation. Yep. You're responsible for preparing yourself, Yeah. the data, your observations, your energy, your words, what the person does with that is their side of the line. Totally. Um, and I think that could, that can be a really interesting dance for, for leaders sometimes in practice in the day-to-day. And I think that those are phenomenal points and I a hundred percent agree. And I would add to that the two things, the medium with which you uh, give the apology and the timing, right? Like, are you giving it like, I can't even tell you how many people I know who've like been put on like a warning or like had a tough conversation right before the holidays. Yeah. You know, like, um, or your, your job's in balance is, is hanging in the balance and, you know, we'll pick this up after the holidays. Well, great. Could this have waited? Honestly, <laughs> if you're not going to do anything until yeah. like January 5th, could we have just waited? Sure. You could have, or people who are like, well, I sent the email. Well, maybe these things are better in a face-to-face yeah. conversation yeah, or absolutely. I made the phone call, right? Well, at least I didn't send an email. Well, could you have had a, f- I mean, in today's world, there's really no excuse for not having the face-to-face conversation because you can do the Zooms and, right. you know, and definitely not in a text message. like Or a post-it note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sex because, and city because reference, the pers- different show. <laughs> Because the people who are receiving that are going to are going to read it, interpret it through the filter of their own experiences. And if you're not there live to, you know, get some clarity, add some context, it's just don't do it through a text message. Don't yeah. do it through an email. Don't leave a voice message. You know, that's that to me, that's a CYA thing. Like, well, I did and and we're not, and if they are doing that, they're not doing what you said. You know, they're not. Well, and there's nothing about that that's in service of the person. That's my, and that's yeah. your that's your job ultimately is to be well in service well to the said. person. Yes. You cannot do that without a face-to-face interaction. Yeah. Anything else is going to be serving you and not the person. Yeah. So I think this this conversation relates to the other big part of this episode that I think we need to unpack, which is this dynamic that happens this time with Beard and Ted. Oh yeah. Um, which is this idea that 
you know, Ted is willing to sacrifice the win in order to protect Roy. And mm-hmm. that really triggers something in Beard. Like Beard mm-hmm. is not okay with that. At all. At all. And it manifests in some really hilarious ways. There's a great scene where like Ted's trying to tell Beard a funny joke on the sideline and Beard just keeps moving further and further away. It keeps shooting. You know, they'll be, they'll cut to just Ted and you just see Ted. And then when they widen back out, Beard's like halfway across the field. It's so funny. <laughs> really, really well shot scene. But yeah, I just think there's, you know, there's something there to, to that conversation and the way Beard frames that up of if you don't want to win, then I don't want to coach with someone that's selfish. Like that's an yeah. angle on that that we have not seen yet in the show. Yeah. And and I think you could take it so many different ways. I mean, I I tell people all the time, I and I, I don't think you and I have had a situation where we have have done like friendly competitions for anything be it cards, pink. So. No, I, but no, I feel you would, like we you need put, to make that happen. Well, after what I'm yeah. about to say, you I'm may real competitive too. So okay. don't even. Okay. So what I tell people is that I'm a, I'm, I'm a sore loser. I don't like to lose, same, but same, I same. am a way worse winner. Like I am obnoxious. <laughs> I like my wife will some, like we'll be somewhere and she'll just be like, can you, and I'm like, I'm sorry, it's a sickness. I can't like to the point of like, I beat some people in cornhole. And for those of you who are not in Indiana, this is a game you play with bean bags and throw it into a real. hole. I think it's real everywhere. So I beat, and the, and they were, they were kids that have grown up with my son. So they're now young adults and I beat them and, pretty well. And uh, I was obnoxious and smack talking to the point that when we left their house, I had gone to fill up my water bottle and queued up. uh, We are the champions. Oh, Jason. And turned it and opened every window and my sunroof (laughs) in my car and turned it up to the point that my wife was covering her ears and drove away playing. (sighs) We are the champions. So you so, would fit right into like, let me give you a holiday holiday dynamic at the Wolfley house. So that's my immediate family. I have an older brother and then my parents and we are all like uber competitive card players. Like we love the four of us love to play cards together. Various doesn't matter. Euchre for sure. Okay. We also play a card game. That's kind of a gin rummy knockoff called aggravation that gets really ugly. Sounds fun. In our, it's a really fun game. And we also, um, play hand and foot canasta, which is a whole other dynamic played canasta. Oh, I love Canasta. Such a fun game. So anyway, we have a a history of this dynamic and we have a saying at the holidays that it's not a holiday until someone has cursed each other out of the cards. Like it's just not a holiday until somebody please invite me for Thanksgiving next year because I would love to be there. I always host Thanksgiving. You can come. My husband and my sister-in-law, my brother's wife refuse Uh to play cards with us. Nobody will play cards with the four of us. That's an in-law. The kids won't play Brooklyn. Well, my niece will play um, with us now that she's older. She's 17 now, but as a young child, she would not See, play. I consider we wouldn't let a, her win. I it consider was, that yeah, a challenge. Awesome. I consider that a challenge. I'm ready to come to the table. All right. All right. We're going to make that happen. All right. So yeah, I get it with the competition. I really do. I have that too. And, and I, I have, I have worked with and for people who competition and winning at all costs. Yes not healthy. Right. Because if you, you know, there is, you know, even to the point, like in a sales meeting completely seriously, the guy said 
second place as first loser. <sighs> and like without a smile, <laughs> without <laughs> without any humor, like you yeah. almost like you're if you're not first, you're dead to me. Right. Yeah. And and you know, for for those listening who are in sales, I mean, gosh, sales is like you could be the greatest salesperson that month. And then the month ends, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Right? You win all the trips, you win all the accolades for the year and the clock turns and it's January 1st is what have you done for me lately? So, I mean, winning is, winning is important. And I like that it was to me that the, the brilliance of this show is I don't think anybody else could have made Ted see that, but be Yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. It had to come through that messenger. It did. And, and it challenges, you know, can Ted then care about winning whilst still developing people? And I think the answer is yes, but it's that delicate balance of having to have it, you know, because if you don't care at all, then what's, you know, cause everybody likes to win, right? Everybody likes to be yeah. part of a winning team. And so if you're not winning, what's really like, if we're not competing to get the prize, like what's really the point? But at the same time, if winning is all there is, that's that's a yeah, tough. That can't be it either. No. Yeah. So you, and and I love that we're going to see, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert as we go into season two. Like Ted starts to understand this a little bit more that the that the goal and the vision have to be bigger than just developing people. Like winning is an important thing. Yeah, I think your point there is health is. Can competition be healthy for a team? Yes, but it cannot be at the expense of the team. Right. And I have definitely seen the team be sacrificed for the sake of yes. winning. Agreed. That's Agreed. And, and to me, that just promotes that promotes backstabbing, that promotes unhealthy oh, yeah. competition, that promotes like you won't have a high trust team when that is the mm, when the when the goal is to beat each other out at any cost. There's no healthy team dynamics. <laughs> no, because people, no. if if you set the goal, people will try to meet the goal, whatever it is, through whatever means. Right. So I think as leaders, we have to be really conscious of what are we re- rewarding, what are we not rewarding. Those send messages, you know, to our team. Yeah, and before we bring our guest on, who's going to tell us a lot about how to apologize and how to do it well. I think we need to bring up some of our. Oh, our there's quotes. so many funny, funny moments. Oh my gosh! And I want to take one, but I know, I know you really love this quote, so I'm going to leave it. Uh, I'll leave, I'll leave it for you, and I'm sure you already know which one I'm talking about. Yes, but one of my favorites is, and is it Roy that says this? I never know what to do when a grown man's yes, doing right. Carlton right in front of me. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> Which is just the per he's the perfect, the perfect like like you just wonder, Roy, how many people have done the Carlton in front, in front of, of you? you? Yeah. And and just the whole phrasing of it and his body language. He's like pushed back in his chair. And it's just it's perfection. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. Uh, so also, good. Ted doesn't mean Carlton, like to be clear. He does really well. He does. He's got some moves. Yeah. Really yeah, does. and then also in that same scene, same scene is is what Jason was alluding to. So there's another T. There's another T moment yeah. in this one because yeah. he's making uh, Roy comes over to his apartment to Ted's apartment, and Roy, 
And so, so Ted's good. making him tea and he makes a tea, a cup of tea for both of them. And he takes a little sip and he goes, it's a prank, the tea, right? Like you guys don't love it. It's pigeon sweat. Like this, this yes. is a prank on your, and I, oh, I can't with the tea and, stuff. And Roy just up. says like, nope, I, nope, uh, I really love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not and I prank. actually, I actually pulled this next quote out uh, to somebody this week. You beating yourself up is like Woody Allen playing the clarinet. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> So good. It's like, where does that even come from? Does right? Woody Allen play a clarinet? Like, I don't remember any reference. I don't watch a lot of Woody know. Allen, but I laughed. I don't know where they yeah. come up with this stuff. This and show, then, it's just a gem in all the ways. Yeah. And I think you should do our last quote that's on there about Rebecca, because I think this is this is just such yeah, a great I can't remember moment. if we talked about this one already, but I... There's a great line that Keely delivers. She's really pressuring mm-hmm. Rebecca to, to tell Ted what's going on and to apologize. And yeah. Rebecca says, why do I even need to tell Ted? It won't change anything. And Keely says, it'll change the way I feel about you. And she just, and it's just like, boom, boom. And it's just like a mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. And then she just walks out and yep. it's, and it's the thing that gets her. Like, it's why she eventually tells him. Yeah. It's just a really well delivered. I'm telling you what, I feel like Keely is the hidden life coach in this yeah. season. Like she really yeah. has so many moments where she's the one yeah. that's shaping the team because she does so episode, much for Jamie. She does yeah. so much for Ray in that way. And we're about, like yeah. she's just this like behind the scenes throwing down a piece of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and supporting it's, people. She's just such a great character. Good stuff, which yeah. I think is a great lead into our guest. Yep. Let's dive in. We are so excited to be joined by Donna, uh, who is an apology expert, and we're excited to uh, dig into this conversation with her. Donna, would you tell our- You can't use one of those in your lives, right? Yeah, an apology (laughs) expert, right? I feel like we should all have one on standby. So Donna, would you introduce yourself to um, the podcast? Sure, sure. So my name is Donna Moriarty, and I'm a writer, editor, and I'm author of the book, Not Just Words, How a Good Apology Makes You Braver, Bolder, and Better at Life. And I believe that firmly. I have pretty much been, my writing career spans like 30 years, maybe it's 35 by now, working with nonprofits, higher education, both in the corporate sector, as well as as a freelancer. As a freelancer, I've written short fiction, nonfiction book reviews, a prize-winning one-act play. Um, My work has been in national magazines, newspapers, and blogs. Um, In 2015, I founded my own company, Silversmith Writing and Editing, and I work with clients to help them discover what is unique and beautiful and brilliant about their work and to polish it to a to a high luster. I have a bachelor's in social psychology and a master of public health in behavioral science and health promotion. So that's sort of a little bit of the psychology piece that kind of le- led to my writing this book. Not Just Words is my first book and I'm working on a memoir currently. And my husband and I have three grown children and we live just outside of New York City with our dachshund, Demi. I love that you brought up to your psychology background. That makes a ton of sense after reading, reading the book. You can definitely see that throughout the book. And I just want to give a heartfelt, a heartfelt positive review for Donna's book. It's really fantastic. It's an easy read, but also super, super helpful. So if this is an area you would like to dive into more, would highly recommend you pick up a copy and we'll tell you how to do that at the end. Um, Donna, what really led you to kind of dig into the topic and write the book? 
Uh, really great question, Beth. I, I discovered that I was fascinated in, with apologies, with the, what I consider to be the art of the apology, when I was hired onto a team and we were assigned to read Gary Chapman's book. You know, he wrote The Five Love Languages. He has also written The Five Languages of Apology. And it just opened up a whole world of how people respond to an apology. But I felt like there was something missing in terms of how do you do this, especially if you don't want to do this or you don't believe it. I mean, I, I met people who said, I never apologize. And they said it like they were proud. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I consider apology both an art and a science. It's like the science of the emotions, but it's also a tool and it's a tool for making things right with the people who matter. And those people can be friends or neighbors or coworkers. They can even be strangers because if you're having an interaction with a stranger and it's not going well, because of something that you've done or, or for whatever reason, it's not, it's not going to get better by not having the skill. So I really feel like it's applicable in pretty much nearly every, every interaction with humans. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, and I think it's, I think it's part of what makes the show great. And Donna is a fan of the show for our listeners. So she knows the show well. (laughs) I I think what part of what makes the apologies stand out so much on the show is because we don't see them highlighted. Like this is an incredibly unusual thread to have woven through something that we're watching play out on TV, especially in the leadership space, because I think of exactly what you were just saying. Like it, it isn't something um, that a lot of people want to do or have been encouraged to do. And many of them actively avoid it. (laughs) Right. So I'm curious, did your, did your research uncover at all? What's the root of that? Why do people avoid it? Uh, Is it a skill issue? Is it a, what's the, what's the core? I think what, I think it starts with people just feel so much shame and embarrassment when they realize they've mm. done something wrong. You know, one of the examples yeah. that I give in the book is if you sit on Aunt Millie's chair and it breaks her antique chair and it breaks beneath you, you didn't mean to do it, but it's the damage is done and you, you have to do something about that. And um, I, I, I think it goes down to people just really feeling uh, ashamed. And, yeah. and, and I think people hate feeling ashamed more than they hate feeling almost anything. And so they will go out of their way to sort of avoid first admitting that they, that they've done anything wrong. And then having to apologize means having to face the person that you've harmed. And it's, it's not easy, but sometimes the avoidance of that is a lot harder or the consequences are a lot more long lasting. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's right. That feels super true to me too. The shame connection. Yeah. Renee Brown would agree. I I think so too. She's made. (laughs) So Donna, I have, um, you know, I'm, we've dated, I've definitely dated myself a few times so far on the podcast, but um, I immediately thought of when, when we nailed down the details for you to be on the show and to talk about apologies, I, I went back to uh, my old happy days, days when uh, Fonzie had to say he was sorry. And uh, I don't know if you remember that, but he, he just couldn't, he's like, I'm do it. Like, yeah. You know, right. it's, it's just choking on, literally choking on the words as they, as they come out. And so uh, I'm curious if you have, you know, maybe there's somebody listening who says, you know, every time I apologize, I, I go in with the best intentions, but I screw it up. Mm. Um, and I, I just don't know. 
I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I think that there are a lot of people who like a prescriptive method of things, right? Like just, I mean, I've actually heard leaders say this, just tell me the three things I need to do and I will do them. <laughs> Give me the list yeah. and just, but I don't want to figure it out. I don't want to know. I want that. I want somebody else to tell me that they've done the research and that it works. Like, just tell me what to do. So if you have somebody who's sitting in front of you, and it's really, a, it's both extremes, but you have like a good prescription or good qualities of a good apology. And then also the flip side of that is what pitfalls to avoid when apologizing. Because one of the things, and maybe you'll talk about this, but one of the things I say to people all the time is if you're apologizing, you can't say I'm sorry, but that's not an apology. No, but yeah, an apology. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, there are, I, I should have flagged the page in the book, with, but I do have do's and don'ts of good apology, and I'll try to remember some of them. But basically, there it is a four-step method that I call it. It's not really a method, but but honestly, apologies tend to follow this series of steps that we make. So I call it one, admit it, two, express it, three, fix it, and four, change it. So I'm going to explain what that means. So Admitting it actually is admitting it to ourselves. You know, uh-oh, I've screwed up. <laughs> we have to start by saying that to ourselves because without that, we're in denial already and we're not going to get anywhere near an apology if we haven't done anything wrong. So, so admitting it to ourselves first is the first step. And the example that I, that I pulled from the show is when Keely says to Rebecca, you have to tidy up your mess. That's that moment. Well, I mean, Rebecca mm. has to go through a few phases before she's actually ready to do it. But but at the moment when she finally re recognizes it to herself, that's that's the beginning. Then the next very important step is to express it. <laughs> and it's use your words. The words are, I'm sorry. There are other words, <laughs> um, lots of other words. And, you know, you have to say what you feel comfortable saying. But, um, you know, uh, so I never meant to hurt you. You didn't deserve that. I wish I could mm. take back what I said. Uh, sorry, I didn't really think this through. What is it? Rebecca says something. She said, I lost myself for a minute. Which, uh, I thought that was so yeah, hard. Yeah. So good. So you're, you're facing the person and it's best not done by text or by email <laughs> if you can avoid it. Yeah. A letter is acceptable. I think we may have said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I, I mean, that face to face is certainly the hardest and it is it is the gold standard, if you will. Um, but it really is like a text is terrible or a voice message, yeah. you know. But honestly, one of those is better than not doing it at all. Step three, fix it is, you know, I let me make this right. And sometimes that is part of the conversation with the person you're apologizing to. What can I do to make this up to you? Or uh, let me write you a check for that thing I broke. Or, you know, the, when Rebecca is apologizing to Higgins for firing him, she's making it right by hiring him back, you know, yeah. and by, even by going to his house and watching him play the bass <laughs> with his little, Such his little mustache. With his cheesy stash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love Higgins. I love Higgins. Um, you know, so it, it, something has to be done to make it right. So that, you know, the paying for the damage done or, or fixing whatever you can, or, you know, whatever mess you made. And, and, uh, you know, when, a, when a leader is, is, is making that thing, right. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. And they're usually, I wouldn't say a grand gesture, but the right gesture. 
So, mm-hmm. it, but it's finding out what's really going to make it right with the other person, not so much what we think. You know, like there's a kind of classic example of the of the guy who does something terrible, brings home flowers to his wife and she throws them in the trash <laughs> because there was no apology coming first. She mm-hmm. may be ready for the flowers later, but um, but it, it, the flowers don't take the take the place of the sincere recognition. I did something to hurt you. I'm sorry. Let me make it right. Yeah. And then the last step is to change it, which means in some way or form, make sure that it doesn't happen again. And it's not just saying this won't happen again, but I have said that. I had to say that a couple of times in the workplace where yeah, I screwed up and I said it won't happen again. And it didn't, and, you know, because I don't want to go through that more than once. Yeah. But to but to take steps to have it not happen again. And so in a, say, a crisis communication situation where, God forbid, lives were lost or damage was done, the 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 leader is responsible for making sure the systems get put into place so that this thing doesn't happen again. You put in more safety measures, you, you know, whatever it might yeah. be, but you have to take that responsibility. I mean, this is on a leadership level. There's a lot of taking of responsibility and it is so crucial. It's a crucial on an individual level, but it's also crucial on that level where you're talking about many lives, maybe many jobs, lots of uh, airtime, <laughs> you know, lots of media coverage, perhaps, or social media, you know, getting judged in the court of public opinion when you, when a mistake happens on a really high level like that, but that's where true leadership can emerge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So since you, you're shifted it to the leadership side, I'd love to dig in a little bit because so many of our listeners are leaders and working in that space and, you know, really digging in to try to be the best leaders that they can. Is there anything specific you would encourage leaders to do differently when it comes to apologies? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's most instructive to learn from bad ones. <laughs> because I'm like you so many things in life. Immediately how right. bad and how it makes you feel, even if you're not on the receiving end, you know? So you know, a bad apology usually begins when someone's just trying to avoid that responsibility, that that admitting it to oneself. They're denying responsibility, which is already, you know, I mean, if you can, this, let's go back a couple of years. Remember on the United Airlines flight when the marshals came and dragged the doctor off the plane who refused yep. to give up his seat? And the CEO of United Airlines first blamed the victim, then apologized for the inconvenience and for the overbooking of the flight. He never apologized to the man who was literally bloodied on the way out of the plane. And he was a doctor who was seeing patients. I mean, it was so egregious. He just kept building one mistake on top of another by avoiding responsibility. And I'm telling you, he was trashed in media and social media. People you know, people certainly noticed and they certainly had their opinions about that. So, so let's look at the flip side, a a, a leader who's not afraid to take this responsibility right from the get-go for a problem that her team or her organization has had a role in. She's, first of all, she's just more in control. She's controlling the narrative. That admission, it's like, you know, this was wrong. This was a mistake. You know, we're, we're going to take care of this. She comes across as trustworthy. Her integrity is very clear. Um, she's kind of admitting that she's human, yeah. which makes people sort of settle down right away. And they feel like they're more relatable. It sucks all the defensiveness out of the person who's on, in, on the listening end. And it, people soften their judgments. They're on her side now. And there's tremendous power in 
and being willing to take those steps. You know, it's like maybe a moment of that white hot spotlight. And after that, you know, you've got your team behind you, you've got the public behind you. And, you know, at whatever level this has to happen, it just really goes better if someone can learn this skill. And, you know, everybody knows how. (laughs) From the time you were in the sandbox, you know, and, and, you know, someone said to you, you can't take that toy away. Say you're sorry for throwing sand in his face. You know, we all know how to do it. And we actually know how to recognize it too. The only question is, just having the courage really and the willingness to just take those extra steps and make that apology. And so on that piece, Donna, because I think we've probably, I'm going to make an assumption here, but I think probably all three of us in our lifetimes have worked for leaders who just not going to happen. Right. It just, right. They're just, so, so what is it in your, and all the work that you've done what what is it that you think that keeps people because maybe somebody's listening to this right and and they're like gosh i suck at apologizing and 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 they're they're dr- hopefully drilling down a little bit to say well i wonder why that is or 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 i just don't apologize and i know some people who would say well i don't apologize because <laughs> because i'm always right uh, yeah. I mean, even with even when things go poorly, they they still have this, you know, what I would call somewhat delusional idea that like they're still they're still right. But if we're just talking about somebody who just who just says, "Gosh, I just you know, as I'm taking stock of of my relationships or you know issues that I've had, I just don't apologize." So what is what stands in the way? Do you think for for people mm. who just kind of you know, if we go back to the sandbox and just kind of stand in the sandbox and like both feed in and like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. What What's stands in the way? I, I think if I, I, I think that's the million dollar question um, because what, you know, I, I wrote this book for people who refuse to apologize, won't apologize, are proud of not apologizing. It turns out the people who are buying this book are the people who have to deal with those people. That feels um, right. Oh, that's <laughs> that feels interesting. right. Wow. You know, because yeah. somebody who doesn't apologize doesn't think they buy your books. Yeah. They don't right. want to. Right. They don't see the value. I mean, if somebody were on the fence and they were to say, let me find out more about this, you know, my and mine's not the only one out there. There's some wonderful books about apology one that's kind of focused on, uh, on, on the legal aspects of it, another that's really about the workplace and, and teams and so forth. There's really a lot of really good books about, and relationships too is kind of the other sort of big category of books about apology. But you gotta, you gotta want to read that book and you wanna read that book only because you see that something in you has to change, that this has caused a problem in your life. And you, I, I guess it's like anything else, you know, no one's gonna change their behavior that they're really entrenched in until they, see the damage that it's causing and the pain that it's causing themselves as well as others. And they want to change. Yeah. They need that burning platform Mm. to come seek it out. Probably. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Do you have any of like the, the, like if you're going to apologize and if you're, you know, if you're in and you're committed here, are like two or three things you just want to avoid at all costs when you're trying to apologize. Yes. (laughs) It's I'm sorry, but, and, and really, to expand that a little is don't give any excuses. I, I, I'm sorry. I was doing this and that's how come I, 
that's the same as I'm sorry, but, and it's, um, it, it just dilutes the apology. It just kind of gives you, it, it just, it, it just, it, it just sort of makes it worse for the other person. Um, you know, the way that Rebecca finally apologizes to, to, to Ted is she doesn't make any excuses. She just names the thing that she does. And she, the, the things that she did, she names them all. She does it quickly, which is actually pretty good. If you can just sort of bottom line this, here's how I harmed you. Don't make any excuses. And here's a really important mm -hmm. key as well. You can say, I feel bad, but don't belabor how you feel about that. I feel so ashamed. I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. This is, I was terrible. That's good. Because you're turning the other person into your caretaker. And that yeah. is absolutely the wrong way to apologize. Um, if you're going in there kind of, you know, um, you know, hoping that the, the flowers are going to give the message for you, you know, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with showing up with flowers, but the words are, are the most important thing to come first. And um, it, there's another sort of must not do, which is it, it, the longer you put it off after you recognize that you need to do it, yes. the harder it gets for you and the worse they're going to feel on the other end and the less sort of um, impact it's going to have. I mean, if you, you know, I mean, think about it, you know, if somebody says, yeah, last month when I did, you know, it's like, yeah, where have you been? There's also something that I call, don't be confused getting caught with the offense itself, which is something along the lines of, well, this never would have happened if you hadn't been looking at my phone. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, that's a way of reversing the blame, you know, kind of anything that you're doing other than just sort of taking responsibility for it. I guess, I guess one other sort of easy thing to fall into is to kind of contradict them if they didn't get something quite right. I mean, certainly you wouldn't argue with them. You know, sometimes in, a, in an apology, people are still a little worked up. I mean, they're not, you know, completely disarmed. Often they are. But, but it, you know, if you're serious about this and you're really kind of taking your time and, and just you're going to take whatever they can give you, they might give you a little bit of pushback. They might remind you of something that you did. Just shut up and listen. And certainly, you know, to contradict themselves. But no, it was a Wednesday. It wasn't a Thursday. That's not the right time. It, it, there, there's a really... <laughs> um, which is you deliver your message yeah. and then you shut up and, you know, wait for them to kind of respond. And then the conversation can go from there. And it usually ends up with a hug or something along those lines where, you know, often people just feel really seen and heard and valued when you've apologized to them because they know that it's not easy. Yeah. And that's the goal, right? Like that's the whole point is, is to build the connection with the other person. And to repair that if that's what's, you right. know, if that's been harmed. So love that. Good stuff. I feel like a lot of what's going on in the world could be healed if people would just apologize, take the blame and not justify it. Uh, Amen to that. Right on, Jason. Yep. <laughs> You're right about that. Okay, Donna, one of my favorite things from the book were some of the tips that you had for things we shouldn't apologize for. That was a really nice ad. <laughs> could you tell us more about that? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Sometimes people get into the habit of apologizing too much. And there are times when mm. you really don't need to apologize and people do it. Sometimes it's almost like a nervous tick. So you don't have to apologize for crying. Almost everybody st who starts to cry in public. Oh, say, that's, I'm so true. that's so true. It's, it's like very sorry, reflexive, but yeah. you really don't have to. Um, fainting, throwing up. <laughs> 
saying no. Oh, that's a good one. Winning. This goes to this not very good girl growing up in the mid 20th century. Um, suffering an injury. So somebody steps on your foot and you say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've done that. So someone will be, you know, trying to get past me in a movie theater. They'll step on my foot. I'll go, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's apologizing too much. <laughs> yes, that's too much. Yes. Okay. Getting angry over an injustice. That's kind of, that's can be oh, tricky yeah. because really there's so much, so many layers there. Having an opinion. I'm sorry, but I disagree with you. That's kind of the way that one shows up. Yeah. Um, tending to your own needs. I'm sorry, but I have to eat. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm about to faint or yeah. throw up. Yeah. Um, for feeling an emotion. I love those. I love those. Did you notice like so many of those seem like struggles that women might struggle with more than men? Does the research? I think so. Yeah. 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 I I, I wrote an article uh, about over apologizing um, and uh, and it was it it was, you know, it's pretty much a a woman's blog because it was, you know, I mean, how do you just sort of, you know, maintain your um, it, uh, it's more than just your composure, but it's about, you know, your, 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 your authority yeah. in a situation, in a business situation where you might be under attack and, you know, women do have emotions and they do sometimes express them perhaps against their <laughs> desires. Um, but there's not really a need to apologize for that, but yeah, our tendency is to try and be nice and, and to apologize a little bit too much sometimes. Yeah. So I think that that's socialized into women in a different way than it is for men. Yeah, sure. I think some people in my family wish that I would apologize for winning a little bit because I'm so obnoxious <laughs> when I do win. They'd rather me be a little more <laughs> humble. Yeah. Donna, that, that is right. a um, that is a fantastic list, and I can't wait to share that with our listeners. And for those who have taken a listen today and they say, "Ooh, I want the book. I want to. I want more Donna in my life. I need to find out more about apologizing." Where can they find you, Donna? Okay. Well, thank you for asking. So, um, so my book website is donnamoriarty.com. And I guess you can probably put that in the show. Yeah, please sure will put those in the show. Mm -hmm. Spelling is everything. There's only one eye. My second website is silversmithwriting.com, which also we can put in the show notes. And you can find me on LinkedIn. If you type in Donna Moriarty writer, you will not get the accountant or the one who has no identity. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yes. You want the right Donna. You want the Donna who's a writer, not an accountant for this particular uh, task for sure. Well, thanks again, Donna, for joining us. We appreciate you so much and really appreciate the knowledge you shared with our listeners today. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you guys. I love the podcast and I so love Ted Lasso and I can't wait till it comes back. But meanwhile, I have all everything streaming and I got the podcast to listen to. (laughs) Down and dogs. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the Diamond Dogs podcast or wherever you like to listen.